The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown in stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline, pylon, touchdown, and the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, usually joined alongside my co-host, Aaron Murray, but I am riding solo today. I hope you had a safe and healthy weekend. It's Monday, July 27th. Please be sure to follow us on social media. A lot going on on social media right now, at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler. Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11. Of course, we've got a lot to update you on the state of college football. As I mentioned, it's Monday, July 27th. I've been telling you, as I've been reporting, most schools, most conferences are going to let you know their plans for the 2020 season on either July 31st or August 1st. So it's not cutting time. I mean, it is time to make a decision. We are running out of time. Hopefully they make the right one, the one that will allow us to see football in a safe manner. But before I get to that, we've got an awesome guest on the show today. If you are a golf fan, which I know a lot of our listeners are, Punt and Pass is a great intersection of golf and football. During the Quarantine Chronicles, we had Harris English on the podcast, PGA Tour player. Keith Mitchell, PGA Tour winner and player and former Georgia Bulldog, joined the podcast as well. Aaron Fleener, who is JT Poston's caddy on the PGA Tour, Join Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz from SiriusXM PJ Tour Radio join. And today, we've got Tron Carter from No Laying Up joining the Punt and Pass podcast. If you're on social media, if you follow golf, you know who the guys from No Laying Up are. And I'm sure you know who Tron Carter is. Follow him on Twitter if you don't already, at Tron Carter, N-L-U. He's an Atlanta guy. We're going to get his background. We're going to get his story. And we're going to talk to him about a little bit of everything from golf to college football to no laying up to what's going to happen with major championship season kicking off here in a few weeks. We got a lot to touch on, and I think Tron will be a great escape. He was originally supposed to be on the Quarantine Chronicles, so this is an extension of that. He reached back out in the DMs and said, hey, let's get it done this week. Thrilled to have him on. Again, Tron Carter from No Laying Up joining the podcast here in a little bit. Cannot wait. We will have an awesome interview. But back to it being July 27th and college football having to make the decision, conferences and schools alike, about what's going to happen with the 2020 season probably by the end of this week. And change back to last week, it was opening day of Major League Baseball. Everybody was fired up. Baseball obviously was cut out during spring training because of the onset of the pandemic. The Major League Baseball Players Association and the league were back and forth about how to figure out the correct way to restart the season. And finally, opening day was last Thursday. We had baseball on our televisions this past weekend. Last night, you had the Braves beat down the Mets on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Look, was it different? Yes, of course. Is it something that you can certainly watch and be entertained by? Yes, of course. I thought the broadcasters did a fantastic job of bringing us the game. I thought they do well with the pump-in of the fake noise. Yes, the cardboard cutouts of the fans are a little lame, but it's baseball nonetheless. Things seem to be looking pretty damn good. Hey, baseball's back. NBA is supposed to start later on this week. NFL training camps are reporting. MLS is going pretty well. And then you woke up this morning to your usual doom and gloom on social media. 
Yeah, it was an unfortunate event. The Miami Marlins had a mini outbreak inside their clubhouse. I believe the number is at 14 players and coaches have tested positive. They had a three-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies this past weekend. So everybody on social media is screaming, saying the MLB is so stupid that they didn't do a bubble system. Now the Marlins are trying to travel to go play the Orioles. That game has been canceled. The Phillies game has been canceled tonight as well because they just spent three days with the Marlins. Are the Phillies going to get sick? How many more players are going to get sick from the Marlins? I mean, it's pure mayhem on the Twitter and Instagram streets. Everybody's yelling at each other. Self-righteous media members are yelling at each other, thinking they're the most important decision makers on the planet when it comes to sports and how they should resume amid the pandemic. But as I've said once, and I'll continue to say it again, on social media, the loudest voices most times do not resonate with the general consensus of thought within this country. I like to think our listeners of Punt and Pass are very reasonable, very thoughtful people. I know that. I talk to you guys often on social media. Now, when you get on social media and you see people with large followings and they have this sort of I told you so mindset that is rooted in negativity and pessimism and fear mongering, I get upset. I get upset because you wake up at 8.30, you know, you law, you do your thing, you do your morning routine, you get on social media, and the news breaks that there's a mini outbreak, and then 30 minutes later, these people are saying, cancel everything. Cancel MLB, cancel NFL, cancel college football, can't do it, can't do it, I told you so. Now hold on a second. Hold on two seconds. Can we not take a deep breath? Yes, it's unfortunate what happened. Hopefully, none of those cases result into anything tragic. But to sit there with your voice, your microphone, your following on social media, and to perpetuate the thought that everything should be canceled literally less than an hour after finding out this initial news, that's crazy. And it gets people up in a tizzy. There's no question about that. Twitter's a war zone. I mean, it is a war zone. If you're logging on to Twitter or social media, any social media, to have a reasonable and pragmatic conversation, you're in the wrong place. You better come dialed in, fired up, loaded down, and ready to batten down the hatches to have an argument of all arguments and never budge. Never budge. I saw one tweet today that I quote tweeted, and I agreed with it. And it is from Kyle Brandt from the NFL Network, Good Morning Football. He says, there's a segment of the NFL media, and really you can put the college football media into this tweet as well, There's a segment of the NFL media or college football media, as I'm adding, that seems to be almost rooting for COVID to affect the season. They want it. They see the Marlins news and say, yep, lots of luck, football. These are the people who make their livings off football. I don't get it. Now, I agree with the general consensus of that tweet. Okay, are these people rooting for the virus? Probably not. You know, that's probably a stretch. That's probably an emotional reaction on Instagram, on Twitter, of how you're feeling when you see these people continue to only post negative, pessimistic, fear-mongering statistics because they want their predictions to come true. People were burying Kyle Brandt. I said self-righteous media. Good buddy of mine, Clint Bowling, who was on the podcast last week. Again, thanks, Clint, for joining. I had a lot of positive reaction to I think your third or fourth time now co-hosting the podcast, he texted me this morning and said, there is nothing better than self-righteous media chirping at each other on Twitter. It is hilarious. It is a spectacle. Now, I'm not surprised by what Kyle Brandt tweeted out. We have been following this and talking about it on Punt and Pass for quite some time. Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports, okay, a guy who we just gave a ton of credit to, for his article a week and a half ago with Bill Hancock from the college football playoff. He tweets out, college football at this point is all about optics. It's not so much about can college football play in light of each piece of negative news coming out of each respective league. It's should college football play. He adds, these are amateurs on scholarship to get an education. At least that's what we're told. My reaction to that is this. Yes, they are amateur student-athletes on scholarship to get an education, but are we really going to sit here and ignore the fact that college football economically props up academic institutions? That's why they're trying to make it happen. There's no need to act like that isn't the 
reality of the situation. It's as simple as that, people. Is the news out of Miami after opening weekend in Major League Baseball disheartening? Yes, of course. It almost makes you scratch your head because you're like, well, they just had three straight weeks of no outbreaks. And then all of a sudden, one team has 14 players test positive. I'm sure they'll double check it. Obviously, they're going to have to quarantine. They're going to figure out ways to move forward. That's what you do. I mean, baseball has an entire farm system. Three or four minor leagues ready to rock and roll. Can you bring some players up, make sure they've been quarantined, make sure they're safe and healthy, and continue on with the season? That's what you have to do. You find a way to move forward. NFL is playing, people. They are playing. You don't think those 32 owners told Roger Goodell, figure it out. We are playing football. You don't think the decision makers in college football are sitting there talking to the conferences and to the institutions and saying, figure it out. We are playing football. I think that's what's happening. I think that's what's happening. One league, one sports league that has figured it out up to this point, and they may have the easiest route of being able to figure out how it works up to this point, is the PGA Tour. And I've given Jay Monahan, commissioner, tons of credit because I think it was either in Hilton Head at the RBC Heritage or in Connecticut at the Travelers Championship, two to four to six guys were exposed. I think two or three tested positive, had to announce an emergency Wednesday press conference. And he sat there and said, we are figuring out a way to live with this because we are continuing to play our season. We've got the protocols in place. People are abiding by the rules that we've set out. We're moving forward. I give him a ton of credit for that. One person who I know that is very opinionated about the game of golf and the state of golf is our guest on this episode of Punt and Pass, and it's Tron Carter. Again, from No Laying Up, at Tron Carter NLU on Twitter. Be sure to follow him. I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. We're going to talk golf, college football, No Laying Up, really anything and everything. It should be enlightening. It should be entertaining, and I really hope you enjoy it as much as I know I will. So without further ado, let's welcome in our guest right here on Punt and Pass, Tron Carter from No Laying Up. Okay, let's welcome in our very special guest on this episode of Punt and Pass. It's Tron Carter from No Laying Up. Tron, thanks so much for joining us. You need to follow Tron on Twitter if you don't already. I'm sure you do, at Tron Carter. NLU and of course go to nolayingup.com that is just an awesome website I'm sure if you love golf you follow no laying up they've got travel series video a bunch of podcasts obviously the commentary weekly on social media is top notch so Tron thanks so much man how are you doing thanks for having me I'm good good uh I'm down here in Jack's just staying stay, trying to stay cool at least it's uh, yeah. mid-90s and, and just the dog days of, of, of summer here. Yeah, so. no question, man. It is hot for sure. Usually we're getting ready for some football. Usually golf is in full swing or actually getting into full swing for the FedEx Cup playoffs. That's changed. We've yet to have a major championship. That'll change next weekend with the PGA Championship coming up. We're going to get into golf. We're going to get into no laying up. But first off, I've done my, my recon, my research. I know Tron Carter is your alias on social media. Look, I'm a huge Chappelle show guy okay that came out when i was in high school i thought it was one of the greatest things it still replays on comedy central in this climate it amazes me that they can still air it which is just crazy but i'm guessing tron carter alias th- did it come from Chappelle show like i think it did it okay. did yeah the uh just college buddies it was, it was during during high school and college and same deal i mean we just loved it and like you said you can never probably never do that today <laughs> No, There's a bunch it's of stuff so never did today. We're all kind of poor for it, but um, but yeah, just that was my favorite skit of all of them. Tron, the, the richest man in the world. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, just then, I think my favorite one was the Mad Real World. Yeah, um, yeah, that that was in Tron's wearing all the Burberry stuff. That was that was fun. It is. Uh, it's too fun. Great alias name for sure. And when I did my when I did my research, you went to Marist High School. You are from Atlanta. Pretty unique. Uh, aspect. A lot of our listeners are from the Atlanta area. Obviously, we lean Georgia heavy. Uh, what's your college football allegiance like? Because I know you went to Miami of Ohio. That's where you met your buddies and you guys started no laying up. What are Saturdays in the fall like for you? Gosh, uh, you know what? I'm, 
I, I root more against certain teams than I root for certain teams. Okay. So, um, you know, I went to, went to Marist, graduated 04. Um, so Sean McVay was our quarterback. Yeah. And I was one state championship my senior year. And, uh, you know, I was like second, third string. I was more of a golfer, but I, I never wanted to quit, quit football. And then, uh, yeah, I went to Miami and got up there and realized like, man, like these, these Ohio state people are just the most ignorant, um, <laughs> brainwashed fan base on the planet. And I'm going to Miami and yet we, you know, mainly our games were Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesdays, Maction, you know, but you would go and all these people would be skipping the Miami games and just watching, watching Ohio state. And when we first got there, it was kind of, it was still trestle ball. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, they're running a high school offense essentially. And, uh, not playing anybody all year. And then from there, they're, you know, they're just waltzing to the BCS national championship game and getting blown out by an SEC team <laughs> every year. So that, you know, I've got some aunts and uncles that are Ohio state fans. So I've always kind of taken, taken pride in, uh, you know, just kind of dumping all over the big 10. Yes. And, um, yeah. So, you know, so like my, uh, Randy, one of my colleagues, we've, uh, one year we went out to Colorado, we ski bums out in, out in Breckenridge and, we first got out there. The it was 07, the national championship game, Florida versus Ohio State, okay. fourteen point dogs. And I remember throwing basically everything I had in my bank account on Florida, like <laughs> money line on Florida. And people thought I was crazy. And I was like, no, like this Ohio State team isn't any good. And yeah, it was the easiest money I've ever made. So yeah, long story short, um, don't really have a team. I'm probably more of an NFL guy now. I feel like a lot of the time. You know, a lot of a lot of these coaches, it feels like they're playing video games on the sidelines. Yeah. You know, where especially if you watch Big Twelve or Auburn, for instance, you know, I feel like with a lot of these spread offenses, it's just, you know, it's just basically they're they're throwing up these signs and and I mean, a lot of the quarterbacks aren't even making pre-snap reads or anything. So um, I, I tend to follow coaches more than I do, you know, programs. So like I loved Holgerson at. Uh, West Virginia for, for sure. some reason, just because he's sucking down the Red Bull and, and <laughs> playing a bunch of golf. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what he does on Houston now. And then, uh, yeah, otherwise, you know, more or less just an NFL draft junkie. Love it. Love it. I mean, football's the best. There's no doubt about that. Obviously, I had to get what your allegiance was. I like the aspect that you do follow coaches. I love the aspect that you love to dump on Ohio State. That's one thing that I always do. That's for sure. That kind of hits close to home now for a lot of Georgia fans because obviously Justin Fields transferred from Georgia to Ohio State. He'll be a Heisman favorite this year. There's no question about it, but you said it best. I mean, they get to have those types of seasons in the Big Ten where, look, Michigan State is considered a huge game for them or Iowa, and those teams score like 14 points a game, and you can just sense the fraud when it gets to the time of the college football playoff and, and really figure out how you're going to handicap those games. So it's a lot of fun, and you know, I've heard my sources tell me that many conferences and schools are about to make their decisions July 31st, August 1st, as to what they're going to do for the 2020 season. I mean, I talk to people and they say, look, we're planning to move ahead as planned. Obviously, it'll look different without the fans. Are you hearing anything? What's your gut feeling tell you about college football? Because that's where everybody kind of has their bullseye right now as to what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, I was out in Lincoln, Nebraska last week and talking to people out there. And, you know, it's the lifeblood of the whole community. For sure. and, you know, I saw what Barry Alvarez said last week uh, as far as Wisconsin football and just, you know, basically the, the athletic department is already running a deficit before you even factor in yeah. the cancellation of football. So, I mean, it feels like it's a non-starter just from an economic perspective. I think it's going to probably blow wide open some of this you know, uh, some of the amateurism stuff and no some question. of the, you know, some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just like, I mean, when you see Stanford getting rid of 12 or 13 programs or you see, you know, uh, Yale places like that, that have multi-billion dollar endowments and you know, you're like, well, I mean, heck, if we turn off football, then all these <laughs> yeah. other departments are essentially, you know, taking, taking bad loans and essentially paying crazy amounts of interest the next few years, just to, just to stay afloat. So I think they'll figure out some way to do it one way or another. Um, and then, yeah, it'll be, re it'll be really interesting to see all the downstream effects with, with the way the playoffs work or, you know, no, no 
non-conference games, how do you, you know, I think, I think the ones that are really going to get crushed are, are mid-majors. For sure. And, you know, all those, all those games that a lot of these big programs are buying essentially yeah i mean there's no question about it and you said the best thing i mean it it is a non-starter like football has to happen and dennis dodd from cbs tweeted out today obviously social media has been on fire today with the news of miami marlins mini outbreak of covid but dennis dodd said college at this point is about optics it's not so much about can they play it's should they after all the negative news from these other leagues and he adds these are amateurs on scholarship to get an education or at least that's what we're told you know my thought process was Yes, they are amateurs, student-athletes on scholarship to get an education, but we can't hide the fact that college football literally props up academic institutions. I mean, that it's like too big to fail. It's like the movie Too Big to Fail when the banks literally are too big to fail or else Main Street crumbles. So we'll see. I think we're going to have college football. Obviously, you have to navigate the negativity on social media, um, and, and, and that is tough to do. At times, before we get into your social media, where you've really made hay and No Laying Up has found their niche on the commentary in the golf world, let's talk about No Laying Up. You just mentioned it. Your brother Neil, Randy, Chris Solomon, Miami of Ohio classmates had a great idea, pulled it together. Six years later, you guys are doing this full time, and a lot of people really enjoy it. Give me kind of the elevator pitch on on No Laying Up. I'm sure a lot of our people are very familiar with it. Yeah, so we all met. Randy and Sally and I went to college together. Neil, my brother, actually played college football at Columbia, um, which, you know, the Columbia mighty University. All Columbia right, University. cool. All right. Yeah, so they're, so he would ride, you know, 130 blocks to practice because yeah. their stadium was up on the 235th Street, uh, up on the far end of, of Manhattan. And uh, they actually got close to kind of turning the corner up there, but they're historically the dregs of the Ivy League. Um, but, but yeah, so we all started this just kind of as a hobby. We all had day jobs and, um, just started a Twitter account and back in 2013, 2014. And then, uh, from there we started a website, you know, people said, Hey, you guys should flesh this stuff out more. And then from there we started a podcast, um, and golf tends to be three to five years behind the rest of sports, much less the rest of society. Um, so it was, you know, everybody else was asleep at the wheel. So all the mainstream publications and everything, you know, nobody was doing a podcast. So we kind of got our first big break. Uh, Rory came on the podcast, Rory McElroy, JT came on a couple times early on and that kind of opened the floodgates, gave us some credibility. Um, and you know, a lot of like, like Rory said, Hey, you guys talk about golf. Like, like me and my buddies talk about golf when I'm at home or my buddies from growing up, we'll text about stuff and, um, you know, a li- little bit more, I, I wouldn't say irreverent, but more just real. Yeah. Right? It's, you know, a, a, like a big, a big kind of inspiration of ours was Spencer Hall from, uh, every day should be Saturday. Of course. That was, that was mainly the, the inspiration behind starting the Twitter account. We were like, Hey, like, why doesn't anything like this exist for golf where it doesn't matter if you're watching a bowl game or. I mean, shit. He would do the 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 uh, the NBA draft or the Oscars or the Golden Globes or whatever, and he would live tweet that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like it's, you know some of those brilliant stuff on the internet, and it's and it goes so far beyond college football. So that was essentially kind of how we started, and then it's it's grown into this yeah this business somehow. And I think if we set out to start it, what we've done, I don't think it would have succeeded. It's it's succeeded because all of us had day jobs for four years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was working for Marriott and Ritz Carlton. Solly was over in Amsterdam working for, uh, KPMG. Uh, Randy was getting his MBA and he was working for Google. And then DJ, we've brought on in the last couple of years, internet, you know, Twitter friend of ours who met online and basically said, Hey, you want to start producing videos for us? And he was working for the PGA tour and we hired him away. So, you know, I think it's in all the trends with, with media in general have, have helped us out as well, where, you know, media companies are, are getting, you know, going under left and right, uh, kind of some of the establishment companies. And we, we've kind of picked up the slack, especially in the golf space where, you know, golf channel is essentially partly owned by the PGA tour. Now, mm-hmm. um, they're bringing a lot of that stuff in house. So it's kind of state run media. You've got golf digest. PGA tour has an interest in that. Um, golf magazines owned by company that does you know all sorts of equipment and they own jack nicholas design and mm-hmm. so uh, golf's really consolidated and it's tough to it's tough to find 
authentic, true voice of the fan reaction versus just you don't know what everybody, you know, who everybody's in bed with or what their agenda is. Yeah, I mean, you guys hit it nail on the head and, and follow No Laying Up at No Laying Up on Twitter. You guys have over 225,000 followers. Tron, you got about 50,000 followers yourself, and you, and you said it best. I mean, you guys started this to have fun, to talk about golf the way you guys like to talk about golf, to be entertaining, not to amass a huge following, not to chase advertisers or dollar signs, and it's created this type of grassroots movement that is is really original and really passionate every weekend, which is fun to follow along. So I'll ask you, you know, six years later, is this as you thought it would be? Did you have a 50-50 idea of, hey, maybe we could do this full time? Or is this just kind of crazy surreal at this point? Yeah, it's just crazy surreal. I mean, I would never, never in my wildest dreams would I have, would I have thought this would have happened. I remember the first, uh, sorry, the first day. Uh, What's I kinda, that, beeper? It's 2020. You know, I got this. I got this STEM thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Your little rehab going. Yeah. Um, Hope you're all right. uh, Yeah. So my first day, like first week that I quit my job with Mary, I've got a three month old at home at this, at this point. So my wife is super, you know, super patient. We were living in Boston. We had just moved down to Florida, basically said, all right, we're not living in Boston with, with a three month old. Um, Didn't want to move back to Atlanta. My wife's from Naples originally. So we kind of, Landon and Jack's halfway. I had only yeah. been down here for the cocktail party. Okay. So we live out at the beach. Uh, she got a job down here. And it's kind of the golf, you know, center of the golf world as far as PGA Tour is concerned. Bunch of players and all that. So, you know, coming down here, I call it the land of low-cost goods and services. Uh, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Tax, real estate's cheap, you know, all that. So we end up, uh, first week, uh, Sally and I end up flying to Abu Dhabi to go cover a tournament over there. And then, the, so from there, the whole, the last two and a half, three years have just been insane. Yeah. Where, you know, a month later after that, we're in Chicago doing something with BMW. We've done, you know, and, and it's just been, it's been a whirlwind. So actually it was, it was really interesting with quarantine and COVID and all that, just the last four or five months being home nonstop and being able to kind of catch up and take stock of where we've come from over the last few years. It's been, it's been wild. And also, you know, I'm sure we're not losing sight of, of that, of our voice and, and, you know, making sure we're still, still the same voice and still the same themes that we were into two or three years ago, that the passion's still there, which I think it's brighter than ever. Yeah, no question. And congrats on all that success. I mean, obviously I follow along, a lot of our listeners follow along and it's about to be the busiest time after that four month lull with COVID. You got the world golf championship and Memphis this weekend, then you got PGA championship and it's like full steam ahead. US Open, Masters, X, Y, and Z tour championship right here in Atlanta. So it's going to get ready to rock and roll. We appreciate you being here. We love golfers. We've had Harris English on the podcast, Keith Mitchell, Aaron Fleener, who's JT Poston's caddy, oh. and then a couple of my buddies from out in Arizona, Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz, who are obviously from Golf Subpar, and they host Gravy in the Sleaze on Sirius XM PJ Tour Radio. So I had to reach out to you. I'm glad you're here. Let's get into some of the golf stuff, okay? And the first thing I'm going to ask you about, and one of the things you're probably most vocal about or really no laying up is most vocal about, something I'm very passionate about, is the broadcasting aspect of golf, right? I think yep. it's it's really interesting because you immerse yourself in golf broadcasting, if you're a true fan, for four hours a day, four days a week. I mean, on Thursday, when Memphis comes on the Golf Channel, it'll be on my TV from 2 to 7 p.m., and then I'll be locked in on Saturday and Sunday as well. It has changed so much. You guys have been very vocal, especially when things change like a CBS week, then an NBC week, and the news breaks a couple weeks ago about Fox giving up their rights with the USGA. So now the US Open goes back to NBC. Tell me kind of what your thought process is from a Thursday to a Sunday, where you feel like there could be most improvement, and really just what you want to see. What do you want to see when you turn on golf on the TV? Yeah. So I think, you know, this was probably four years ago. Now I wrote an article where I just, I sat down on a Saturday or Sunday. It was Riviera. So it was the LA event. And I think this was the year that Spieth almost won the golf tournament without them showing a single shot of his until his like second shot into the seven second hole. And you know, it's the equivalent of watching a football game and then going to commercial in the middle of a drive on second and three 
you know, team keeps driving and then they come back and they show the extra point. (laughs) But you you missed the scoring play and you missed. So, so often we, we hear, you know, this, this, this just a moment ago and it's somebody knocking in a two footer. I don't care about the two footer. I care about how he got there. I care about the spectacular shot from 220 yards out that, you know, landed pin high and, and spun back to there. Like that's, that's what I care about. And um, it seems like too often they're just missing the plot and treating us like we're we're these captive consumers and not not golf fans. Yeah. Not, um, you know, so so couple, you know, four years ago when I when I wrote that article, you know, a few broadcasters actually reached out directly and they're like, dude, you're absolutely right. But like, here's our constraints with the commercials, with the tour, with all of our, you know, we don't want to embarrass these players because the PGA Tour is a player on organization as well. So, you know. They'll get a. Sometimes CBS will get a, will get a uh, a call from one of the agents. Basically says, "Hey, you know, why'd you show this shot?" Or like when Rom, <laughs> when, when Rom put his club down, you know, behind of the course, ball. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, um, like I imagine we'll see less of those shots here moving forward. You know, because it puts the players in a bad spot. So, I, I guess at the end of the day, what I want to see is just treat it more like a sporting event. Yeah. And less like a. Less like a giant commercial. And I get you got to pay the bills and you got to, you know, so one of the things that we had uh, vied for was was those playing through commercials. Right. So, you know, instead of instead of showing now, granted, I think they they abuse them and they overuse them now. But, but, you know, it's like, all right, how is how is soccer one of the most uh, popular sports in the world? And and, And they basically play for 90 plus minutes with one commercial break in the middle. And it's, and they still find out, a, they find a way to make it profitable, right? Yeah. Do that golf, throw, throw that logo up in the top right corner, or they started superimposing the graphics onto the screen. Like I'm not anti corporate sponsors. That's, that's who's paying, paying for the purses and all sorts of stuff. It's just a matter of when the tour, like, you know, I, I can count on, I can't count on two hands, how many commercials you see for the tour while you're watching a tour broadcast. It's like, Hey guys, like you've already got me watching. Make the, make your product better. Show me more golf shots. Show me less fluff. Make your product better so more people watch it. The ratings get better, and you're charging more for commercials, so you need less of them. Yeah, yeah, you know? I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you bring up a great point when you talk about that. Um, I guess controversial aspect of showing John Rahm and did the ball move or did it oscillate? Would there be a penalty? And and then Amanda Balionis asks a great question in the post win celebration yeah. interview, which I gave her a ton of credit for. But in comparison in football, I mean, look, I was a punter, kicker. If you miss a kick, they're airing your shit out. I mean, it's getting replay. You're going to get killed for it. You're going to get buried on social media. It will be a humongous cog in the outcome of the game, much like some of those shanked shots. I mean, what was it? Wasn't it Harold Varner the third? Uh, yeah. In one of the first, it topped the three wood. Nobody even saw it. With they the didn't, and it was on the most like famous short par four in the world. That was at Riviera too, wasn't it? And he's like, you know, basically pretty close to leading the golf tournament. So it's a pivotal moment. Plus it's something people would want to see. Sure enough. Yeah. They didn't want to embarrass him. Like, that's <laughs> what the money's for, man. You're playing for millions of dollars every week. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just like, I mean the Bryson thing a couple weeks ago where, you know, he said like he berated a, a cameraman yes. for following him. Like as he's leading the golf tournament and, and he said, Hey, like, you know, don't damage my brand. And it's like, dude, you like grow up. Yeah. Don't do it to yourself. I mean, I no, I totally agree with you. There's a fine line between entertaining the consumer and protecting your clients or so to say protecting the players. That's what we want to see. I mean, we want to see the controversy. We want to see the bad shots, but we also, I mean, for me speaking for me, I just want to see golf shots. I mean, I think golf channel does a little bit better job Thursday and Friday of just showing golf shots as much as you can. And then obviously it slows down on the weekend. The field gets cut in half. There's more storylines to follow as the leaderboard shakes out. But I just want to see golf good or bad or indifferent. And then you can add the commentary as you see fit. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're trying to, I know the tour is trying to get to a point where like at the players this year, before it got canceled, they were going to have every, every shot available online. Right. Yeah. That's great in theory. And then you can kind of mix and match and create your own stream. Um, but I think with some of it, they're like, they're, they're kind of answering questions that we're not asking. Like we're not asking to see every shot, right. We're just asking for you guys to curate a little bit of a little bit more of what's important and follow the storylines a little bit closer. Or I think you've, 
you know, they've done a good job over the last six to eight weeks now of doing more player caddy conversations. That's probably the most interesting, you know, one of the most interesting things for diehard golfers is to hear. Yes. It's so much more uh, applicable and valid and, and informative when you hear it directly from the player instead of Nick Faldo mumbling what, what he thinks the player is thinking. Yeah. Why don't we just hear what the players talk about with his caddy themselves? You know, and it's not like you're sharing state secrets here. So I think there's a misconception with like all the players being mic'd up stuff. It's not to hear the conversations between the players. It's to hear the player caddy convo or their reaction to a shot. Um, you know, and, and I think the tour's gotten so used to everything being so vanilla and everything being so lily white to where, you know, with Reed or Bryson, like golf needs some, some villains. Right. And yeah. so don't have that and everybody's a class actor a gentleman then you know it's there's just there's no there's no spontaneity to it there's no you know exactly what you're going to get every week and there's there's just no entertainment value to it p reed is certainly a lightning rod here on punt and pass with the georgia ties i mean he was a classmate of mine at georgia i went uh i think i enrolled june of 2007 and i remember i mean we were in east campus village a roommate harris english and um and Keith, uh, not Keith Russell Henley was there. My buddy Lowry Thomas. I mean, Patrick Reed was their roommate. And, yeah, Brian uh, you know, was there at the time. Kiz was probably finishing up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hud was there. Hudson Swafford yeah. was there. I mean, it was a really, really good group of guys. And and I still talk to a lot of them till this day. And man, I mean, if you're talking about one guy who can alienate people as far as their yeah. public reaction towards him, it's unbelievable. But to his credit, okay, if you can thrive off that. That is that's being wired differently. I mean, if you can take that stress and almost like turn the key and try to get people to hate you and then create success off of that, I mean, I guess I'll tip my hat to you. But the craziest thing to me was when Georgia played Notre Dame in South Bend a couple of years ago and he showed up full Notre Dame gear on the Notre Dame sideline with Jimmy Dunn. I mean, that was like an yeah. all-time villain move. I mean, that's what a villain does in a movie. That was too funny. So we'll see if he continues to really pick up his game as, as the FedEx Cup playoffs turn out here in the next couple of weeks. Let's get to the golf, though. Thank God we've had golf. It's been so huge, and I've given Jay Monahan a ton of credit on the podcast as figuring out a way to continue things. I think it was, was it the Heritage or was it the Travelers where I think two positive tests showed up and there was four people who had been around them, and then that emergency press conference happened on a Wednesday and everybody on social media is like, oh, shit, here we go. They're going to cancel it. And he sat there, took questions, and said, we're figuring out a way to move forward. This isn't going anywhere. We have our protocols in place. We're going to continue to follow them. We will adjust as we see fit, but we're figuring out a way to move forward. I think they've done a good job of it this far. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think there was certainly some, some you know, I, A, I appreciate them sticking their necks out. Just, yes. They were, they were first out before. They were last to kind of close up shop, and they were first – First back out. Um, I think the protocol had some holes in it. Like you had, uh, um, you know, talking to a bunch of players, like, you know, one of the biggest things is like it, it, it this happened at Harbor Town with Watney where his whoop band, you know, uh, I, I guess alerted him and his, his respiratory rate was way up. And then he came on site to get tested and then hung out with other players while he was waiting for the results of that test. Same thing happened with Cam Champ the following week. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so I think there were some holes in that. They've since tightened that stuff up. Um, I'm, you know, I think they've they've done a good job. I don't think anybody's been put in harm's way. Um, you know, the bubble's tight. Like we've we've applied for media credentials, and really, unless you're New York Times or you know AP writer, you're not. Or for Golf Magazine, like they're they've really cut down on the amount of media on site, um, which is actually better. I prefer watching it from home and watching it as everybody else is watching it on their TVs. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and, and I don't pretend to think either that I think there have been a lot more positive tests than have come out. Okay. Uh, you've seen a lot of withdrawals, like midweek withdrawals that, you know, it's up like four or five times over what it normally is, you know, unlisted reasons or, you know, like the tours tweeted out a couple times, Hey, we've, you know, so-and-so wasn't feeling well, like Chris Stroud wasn't feeling well. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. They, they, they delete that tweet right off and just say, Chris Stroud has, has withdrawn, you know, reason not listed kind of thing. So, but even that, like, I don't, you know, it's, I guess it's a separate conversation, whether the tour should be being straight up with everybody about what the real reasoning is. But overall, I think they've done a good job of testing everybody. And, you know, you look at 
baseball essentially getting shut down today yeah. uh, with, you know, with everything that's happened in the last 24 hours. And then you look at the NBA bubble and all that, you know, guys leaving, getting takeout food or, you know, going to strip clubs. Or the will of Magic City. I mean, come on now. That's too funny. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, there's definitely, um, you know, golf, golf's done a good job. I think it's, it's been, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised with, I, I don't think it seemed like Hilton Head was a little bit of a wake up call where, you know, I was like, all right, like we got to be on our P's and Q's. Otherwise this shit's going to get shut down yeah. real quick and, and we're not going to be playing for any money versus, you know? So, yeah. So I think overall it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, for the majors like Augusta, yeah. you know, to test everybody. I mean, cause, because Augusta basically said, Hey, like we, we only want to have this thing if we can have fans mm-hmm. on site, um, which, which, you know, I think that, that makes sense. Like, you know, not having had, like I was thinking about it yesterday. We, we haven't had a major in since last July, even a major since the British open last well, week. We, we, count, we counted the three M open as a major last week. Come on now. <laughs> Yeah, no, and actually, you know, sure, we've got we got two events this week. We got Reno, and we've got uh, WGC, and then we got San Francisco the following week. So I'm I'm excited to to kind of get in the stretch run. The craziest part is the current season is almost over. I know, and it feels like it just started. I know, it is crazy. Tell me your thoughts on DeChambeau. I mean, DeChambeau comes back. Me and my buddies joke. He looks like the kid in high school that just is shoveling dry creatine into his mouth at every second. I mean, we talk about how he's got to smell terrible. I mean, nine protein shakes around the creatine. I mean, he has beefed up, and I'll give him a ton of credit. That is extremely hard to do and remain amiable. The way he can move and smack a golf ball, it's been nothing short of crazy. I love the beef between him and Brooks Kepka. But it's kind of made me back off both of them. I'm kind of like, you know what? Just just play golf. I mean, look, be, uh, DeChambeau's jacked up. Kepka kind of has the persona of I don't care about anything. I like them going after each other. But, um, yeah, what are your overall thoughts on DeChambeau, Kepka, and I guess anybody else who's picked up your uh, your your thought on after yeah. uh, we got back? Brooks, you know, Brooks needs to start playing better. He's going to keep talking smack. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, but, but at the end of the day, he has, you know, he's the – two-time defending PGA champ, yeah. you know, has, has all those trophies in his back pocket too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, golf at the top right now is crazy strong. You look at, I mean, Rory, JT, uh, Dustin's not playing well right now, but he won a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, Spieth trying to come back, all this stuff. And then you've got this Bryson kind of sideshow over here, um, where, yeah, I mean, I think it's some, some of it's kind of performance art where, you know, like that whole video he did, the whole produced B-roll video that he did. <laughs> that was so outrageously hilarious. And so that's what it's so striking to see some, him release something like that and then complain about a cameraman following him and saying he needs privacy. Well, dude, you just you just produced a 10 minute video. You working out in your garage and doing drive- neck doing neck raises like it's Rocky three or something. Yeah. And making breakfast in your house like that's to me. That's you know, there's not a whole lot of privacy there. Um, you know, and it's just calling out for attention. So if anything, it's like, but I give the guy a lot of credit. I mean, you can talk all you want about the distance, but he's hitting his driver like incredibly straight. It's, it's unbelievable. And then, you know, the week he won in, in, in Detroit, he, he was first in the field in putting. So, you know, he, he's gone from, you know, now granted his wedge play still seems like it's leaving a lot to be desired. I think he needs to go away from the, the single length irons yeah. where playing a 38 or 40 inch, wedge is kind of a a wild deal um but yeah i mean i think it's you know it's good for the game to have characters and to have villains and all that and and then the tour doesn't pair these guys up like that's such a missed opportunity field together after five weeks of kind of you know being ships passing the night and sure enough the tour tour shies away from it and all that so it's you know some of it's a little bit like I've, i've gotten into formula one a lot lately and it's Formula One, they'll put they'll put rivals right up in the same press conference and put them on the same podium and and, and ask them questions about the other one when the other one's standing right there. I wish golf would lean in a little bit more into hey, it is an entertainment product, and let's let let's figure out a way to make this as fan friendly as possible. You know. Yeah, no doubt. Somebody told me that Formula One documentary on Netflix is really good. I've yet to watch it. I have not dipped oh. into Formula One. 
uh, yet, but I totally agree with you. Like, take it almost like, uh, not say UFC, but, I mean, make it a bit of a spectacle. I want to be able to tune into something and know that there's an underlying story there. I think that would really catch everybody's interest. Or last week, they did such a poor job of spelling out, like, really leaning into the narrative of Finau. Yes. Finau's had so many, he's had 30 top 10s over the last five years and like he's won once right um you know leaning into that or in formula one it's not necessarily all about who wins it's about you know who finishes fourth or fifth and what does that midfield stuff look like and and they've got that with the pga tour as far as who's keeping their card with the fedex cup or you know like on fridays there's no doubt in my mind that this would kill i would pay for it it would be like a red zone channel but for watching guys on the cut line oh that'd be cool you know, you're just all right. There's six. They're, we're going to track these six guys on a on a feed or on a stream, and follow their rounds as they. You know, all right. The cut line just moved to four under. This guy's got to make two more birdies in the next three holes. How does he play this differently? If you have him mic'd up, they're going to be talking to their caddy about how their strategy is different. Yeah. Because you know they need two birdies coming in. All that. Like I think that would be fascinating. But you know, it's like I'm just who am I? Right? Like the tour is just like you know, totally ignores most everything we say. So, well, let's kind of lean into that. Cause I wanted to ask you about the state of, of golf media. And from my perspective, you know, there's the old guard and then there's the new guard. And, and I view no laying up as the originators of the new guard of golf media. And when I talk to my buddies like Harris or Keith or Colt gets on the podcast or Aaron Fleener, who's the caddy for JT Poston, they say it is just absolutely insane now. There's a podcast for everything. Everybody has their own spin on how golf should be. I mean, I think of no laying up. I think of golf subpar, gravy in the sleeves, my guys. Um, I think of I, I almost uh, like loop Zach Blair and the Butt Club into that too because they've got such a great following on social media. Shane Bacon, I'm a huge fan of Shane's Clubhouse Pod and get a grip with Max Homa. And then of course there's foreplay over at Barstool. Give me. Give me kind of your sense of where media is at right now. And um, I want to ask you more specifically about foreplay because it's just such a juxtaposition of maybe, I don't know, if an understanding of golf or, or, or a true golf fan versus a novice golf fan. I, I would love your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, nothing but like I'm, I'm kind of shocked that I'm not sure if you ever listened to Spit and Chicklets with Ryan. Oh, yeah. Lizzie. Yeah. Like, I don't know how he's not their golf guy. Yeah, because he's a stud <laughs> golfer, too. Yeah, he's a stud. Um, but yeah, I think you know, I, I think with foreplay, we we kind of serve two very different audiences. We're kind of more the enthusiast. Uh, you know, they could probably call us hardos or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and they're they're more after. You know, I think when they got their start, they were running over people in in in, in golf carts and talking about eating you know eating dead deer on the course kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So you know, I think we've we've kind of we're comfortable with where we're at. Um, you know, I think we were just by chance or by kind of luck of being in the right place at the right time. And, and, you know, and some of it was foresight, but, you know, having been kind of the first ones to start a golf podcast, yeah. I think that's given us some license to, you know, people look to us first, I think. Um, but also, you know, I think being less like we've, we've had to be less worried about, all right, who cares what everybody else is doing? There's 20 other podcasts that pop up every week. Yeah. Right. And, and the ones you mentioned, you know, Max and Shane, um, you know, Zach's one of my best friends. We've got, um, you know, I love listening to gravy and sleaze on, uh, Sirius XM. Like that's like my midday like, yeah. or something, um, them. And then, you know, and then, and then like, like, like Andy Johnson at fried egg and Brendan Porat shotgun start with, with, with Andy. Those are kind of the ones I listen to. And then some of the Australian golf pods, like Rob Morey does, does, does a good job. Um, they get more, the Australians have a very interesting, kind of look at the game they're very they treat it much more like a, a sport whereas here it's like a leisure activity yeah um so i think you know like they don't drink on the course they drink after they play right that, that sort of thing yeah. so they've always got an interesting take on it very um very bold takes on architecture as well because everything down in the sand belt is very firm and fast um but yeah i mean overall it's like for us it's been you know it's definitely gotten harder to book guests just because there's so many um, there's so many requests going out to agents and yeah. all that kind of have to rely on relationships now. Um, but I, you know, I like to think we were a little bit ahead of where most of these other ones that have, that have kind of come in started to, 
you know, a lot of endemic brands like, you know, Golf Digest or even the PGA Tour, they're saying, hey, like, why don't we have five golf podcasts? All right, cool. Let's start. Let's start a golf podcast. And some of the people starting them are my friends. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, but it's just a matter of it feels like a lot of people are checking off a box versus it's like, hey, why does this podcast exist? What is, you know, what what new ground are you covering with this kind of thing? So um, and then the other thing, too, is just, you know, us kind of going towards video and, and we're in the process of redesigning our website and getting back to writing stuff as well. And, you know, so we're constantly asked, hey, what is no laying up? And we're like, you know, are we a media company? And we struggle with it. Are we a media company or are we, you know, golf community? Because we, we've got our, our message board as well. And we we'll yep. probably get a few thousand active users a day on there. Um, you know, and it's just a matter of, so it's like all, you know, we're starting to do a bunch of events too. And we're doing, you know, so it's like all these elements of our business kind of talk to each other. So I'd like to think we're more than a, just a media company, but but at the end of the day, like if you're, you know, if you're out of touch or if you're not watching the golf, that's kind of the, that's the foundational piece, right? You got to, everybody knows this through the podcast and through social. And then that's how they kind of get into all the other elements of what we do. Yeah, no question. And No Laying Up does not only have just one podcast. You guys have the Crash Course podcast, which is a newer one. I think you guys are reviewing golf courses, which you've recently played, which is awesome. You have Trap Draw. With you and Big Randy, which is a favorite of mine, it's a lot of fun, a little bit more laid back. And then the No Laying Up podcast, which is led by Solly, Chris Solomon, uh, it's really good. So you always have an opportunity to find what you like yeah, at No Laying Up. We'll have the interviews on typically midweek on the main podcast, and then we have our recaps on Sunday nights. And then, yeah, we, we say the Trap Drop Pod is – it's a golf podcast where we don't talk about golf. Ideally, yeah, we don't talk yeah. about anything, you know, so – um, yeah, we're, we're all over the map on that. And what's your thoughts on the old guard media? Like when Alan Shipnuck after the heritage, uh, little mini outbreak said, cancel everything, shut it down. Or a guy like Jeff Shackelford takes really hard line stances and like puts his neck out there against the barstool guys. Or I don't know if you guys have crossed paths or if you're on the same page on a lot of stuff, but I feel that they know they're threatened and, and the younger yeah. generation is sitting there going like literally making fun of them for having such old staunch takes on whatever it is. Yeah. We, um, I think we're in an interesting spot because we're probably a little bit more old school or a little bit more, you know, we're kind of going back to like that enthusiast golfer and like I Shackelford's a friend of mine. Yeah. Alan Shipman's a friend of mine. Um, you know, like we, had, especially with the Scottish and English guys, um, they would, they, when we first kind of came on the scene and we're, we're getting access to Rory or, you know, JT's coming on the pot. Like they're, they're like, you know, who the hell are these guys? And they haven't earned this and that. So we went yeah. through that exact same thing. I think we handled it a little bit differently, but at the same time, we've always kind of had that tongue in cheek, you know, because to be honest, we don't even like, I don't even think the tour knows how to classify us. So when we come on site and we say, Hey, we want inside ropes badges. Cause we want to watch these guys this week. All right. Well, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to talk about it on our podcast. Well, you know, that's not necessarily, all right, well, there's more people downloading our podcast than are listening to, you know, or then, then the entire circulation of this magazine or that magazine. So yeah. it's constant, you know, it's the whole new media thing is it's, it's very interesting to quantify it. And, you know, I think the PGA tour is still set up to cater to a lot of those, old school traditional outlets like a golf week or like golf digest or golf channel, um, or, you know, ESPN. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so guys like, you know, I remember Herrick got roasted after the whole, you know, Herrick's the ESPN. Yes. And he got roasted after the whole president's cup thing. Well, you know, Kessler Crane, who I actually played golf with him down here in Jack's beach during the players, as all this stuff was getting shut down, I got paired up with him randomly I'm playing with Max Holmes' caddy and Kessler comes out and he's like, Hey, you mind if I join up with you guys? And I'm like, yeah, man, like, I don't know. Do you know who I am? Like, <laughs> your player probably more than anybody. Um, but like Kessler sent that note out to Bob Herrig as well and to other people as well. So it's like, if you're going to take pot shots, you got to make sure that, you know, you're not just indiscriminately firing it off at everybody. Cause Herrig's a good guy. Yeah. He's have all started yeah they are threatened but at the same time like they will if you sit down at the table with them and talk about it they will give you an inch They'll, they will you know accede to because 
you know, all their businesses, the reason that they're all being tasked with starting podcasts right now is because what we're doing is working. No right? question. Affirmation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, I feel bad for a lot of these guys too, because they're getting, their salaries are getting cut or, you know, ad revenues in the tank for print publications. And so they're finally, you know, they're having to get creative and their comfortable lifestyle from the last 20, 25, 30 years has been upended. That sucks, you know? Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, you've heard it for years. Media is going digital. Media is going digital. I mean, it's here, and, and it's proven that yeah. you guys are on the right track for sure and have really set the precedent. Speaking of new media, I got a couple of questions off of social media before we let you go. First one's from Jason Huggins. He listens to Punt and Pass, but also a huge No Laying Up fan, and he's talking about that Peter Costas interview that you guys did. He said, was the Peter Costas interview the most raw you've done so far? And he adds that it was awesome. I'll agree. It was really awesome. Obviously, Peter Costas no longer on CBS. You guys are critical of CBS. He comes on and joins the pod, and you guys had a really, really good conversation. Yeah, I think the the Costas interview was, you know, kind of confirmed a lot of what we had thought. And I think Costas getting essentially let go from CBS, Costas and McCord. Um, it, you know, again, they're answering a they're 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 like they're providing an answer to a question that nobody's asking. I don't think anybody was complaining about Peter Costas. Yeah, right. He was. One the strong points of the CBS broadcast. So yeah, I think, you know, and, and the way that they fired Costas was very unceremonious and, and, you know, kind of soulless. And so I think, you know, he had a bone to pick with them. And, you know, of course the CBS people said, you know, and then, and then, and then Jim Nance ends up coming on our podcast and a couple of weeks ago and, and it sounds about as out of touch and tone deaf as you could possibly sound where, you know, it was clear that he hadn't listened to anything of what we had said. He'd gotten a summary from yep. whoever their PR person is. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think Costas, I think everything, I don't think he was unfair though. You know, it was, it was definitely, he was throwing some, some high fastballs, but I don't think it was anything that was, that was unwarranted or unfair or off the table. And then, um, he came back on a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we talked a little bit of golf, but it was also, you know, a lot of, a lot of other stuff or a lot of non CBS stuff as well, which was, I think we complain a lot about CBS, but a lot of it is a lot of it. You got to put on the tour for sure. Right? They're the ones signing these TV deals. Um, you know, I mean, heck, I don't know what's going to happen. The new TV deal that, that, that CBS and NBC just signed, you know, it went up 50% as far as revenue goes. Yeah. So if, if CBS couldn't make this, profitable business before i don't know how they're going to do it here moving forward i had heard and tell me if you can confirm this or not i had heard and this had to be a couple of years ago before the tour really got in bed with golf channel that the tour was trying to buy cbs sports network to make into their own pga tour channel and that would have really given them a competition to golf channel take away some of those thursday and friday rounds and go head to head with the NBC on Golf Channel, that has since changed. Did you hear that as well? Yeah, there was all sorts of misdirection. I think they were they were hoping that the tour was hoping that because I feel like we've seen kind of a retreat from a lot of the cord cutting over the last yeah eighteen twenty four months, um, where you know they were hoping that ESPN was going to dive in headfirst on cable, you know, just on putting PGA Tour golf Thursdays and Fridays on main channel ESPN. And then ABC would be bidding on some of the rights as well. Like that's part of the reason Fox didn't didn't end up bidding on on the PGA Tour con- or on the. Uh, that's why they offloaded the USGA, yeah, because and they and they paid you know basically fifty percent just to get out of the deal. So yes, yeah, so so NBC is getting that deal for fifty cents on the dollar, um, if that. And so once Fox didn't get a part of the PGA tour deal. It didn't make sense for them to keep a full crew on staff. Like that was part of, I think why they initially did the USGA deal. Um, and then I think the, the tour was really anticipating either Turner or Amazon or Facebook. Um, you know, one of these platforms really dive in head first and say, all right, we want to, we want to get in bed with you guys and really, really take a step forward with golf. And that just never materialized. Because um, you know, like Discovery Networks with Golf TV does all the PGA Tour stuff outside of the U.S. as well, and um, and yeah, so it ended up just being you know I think the tour basically said all right, like back to the drawing board because I think the plan with Turner would have been to to turn True TV or Headline News or something like that yeah 
you know, or the PGA Tour Network, whatever. Um, so essentially, they're doing that now with with Golf Channel. They're just going to basically rebrand it into Golf, I guess, Golf TV or something. So, uh, but yeah, it'll be a lot more stuff produced from Pontevedra or from St. Augustine PGA Tour Entertainment. And yeah, I mean, I think it's you know, it's a little bit like I said earlier, it's a little bit of kind of state-run media. If yeah. you're not see anything about PGL or about a rules infraction. Like when, when all the read stuff happened, there wasn't a single acknowledgement of it on the PGA tour website. Right. And it's yeah. like, at some point you're doing your own fans a disservice, right? At some point, like, are you covering the sport or are you, are you just carrying the players water for them? And I sense that you're, you seem to be a pretty big proponent of the PGL, the premier golf league. I am. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, having gotten into formula one recently, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, I think there's just, there's so many structural issues with the PGA tour as far as the way that it, um, you know, the way that, that it's set up. I mean, they, they're a 501 C six. They don't pay taxes. They have to, you know, abide by certain things because of that. They can't give preferential treatment to one player versus another. So that's why, you know, you'll see like Rory's Optum deal or Ricky's Grant Thornton deal. Those came from the tour. That's a way of the tour around those regulations where they can, kind of help, you know, direct a sponsor to say, you know what, like you guys can sponsor the players championship, but you've got to sponsor a player and we're yeah. going to really recommend it's Ricky Fowler kind of thing. Um, you know, and the players have gotten a great deal, but it's probably 15 to 20 of them that are generating most of the, you know, and, and that pains me to say, cause you know, I got like one of my favorite guys in the world to watch is like JT Poston. Yeah. Right? And like, like I would, if I was going out to the round tomorrow, I would, I would follow JT Poston for 18 holes. Cause he's so, like watching him build around, like what he did at Greensboro last year yeah. with 72 holes without a bogey. Like that's insane, mm-hmm. right? He's and he and he doesn't look like he should be a world class golfer. He's <laughs> kind of lanky and skinny and out, but he's just a stud. Um, but those guys, like you know, those guys aren't dri- driving the needle. It's Rory, Rom, Brooks, Bryson, Tiger. Like Tiger is the needle. Yeah, um, and 15 to know. 20 may be extremely generous, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe eight to twelve at any given point. Um, you know, and then yeah, and then you know, guys kind of float in and out like like a speed. Yeah. Or, you know, so it's it's very uh, you know, it's just weird times because also like I think the PGA tour is kind of maxed out how much like FedEx, their business isn't doing well. Yeah. You've got a lot of corporations that are gonna start cutting back here in the next couple of years on on corporate sponsorship. So I think you know, push has got to come to shove at some point. And I know the PGA tour wants to go international, like, you know, with Japan, like the Zozo in Japan or the CJ cup in mm-hmm. Korea. I know they've set up an office in London and, you know, they'll either partner up with the European tour or buy them. They definitely want a piece of the, of the Ryder cup, um, and kind of turn it into a true world tour. But, but at the end of the day, that's tough to do because you've got your stakeholders are the 125 guys yeah. that in the United States, you know, so, and really, you know, counting everything, there's a hundred, probably 200 guys with PGA Tour cards. They just have different levels of status. Of course. You know. Awesome. Well, hey, I'm going to ask you one more question. I know I've taken up way too much of your time. I could talk to you about this stuff all day, but it's one last one off social media. It's from Austin Stevens, and he's asking for your top five courses in the Midwest. I mean, you can go trust fund Tron on us if you want to. <laughs> he says Bally Neal, Prairie Dunes, Omaha Country Club, Dismal River, Sand Hills. Yep. What do you think? So I, just, I actually just played Prairie Dunes uh, about 10 days ago. Did you do it left-handed? I did. That's yeah. unbelievable. Now tell everybody about that. Yeah, so did it left-handed. Um, that was a that place is awesome. That would probably be definitely in the top five. Sand Hills is up there. That's a, you know, trust fund. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's big time. Uh, I played another one last week three times, Northland Country Club in Duluth, Minnesota. It was awesome. Old Donald Rouse course on the shores of Lake Superior on this hill overlooking. Um, I would say that's up there. Um, gosh, Bally Neal's tough to beat. Bally Neal's awesome. Um, I don't think Dismal quite makes the cut. I shot my career low around at Dismal last year. Um, but, yeah, I would say I would put Nebraska and Kansas and Minnesota and Ohio up against really anywhere in the country outside of Philly or um, probably Philly, San Francisco, yeah. and, um, like the, the depth of golf in the Midwest, even Iowa, Chicago is, is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. yeah. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, I think, 
like that that's one of the frustrations like that's probably why i will move back to atlanta it's just because you know you've got your peach tree and you've got i love setting down creek it's great track it's but otherwise like we played a lot in high school at cherokee yep. or um like i grew up playing at dunwoody um played a lot at, at the athletic club played a lot at capital city like you know people are stroking like $7,500,000 checks to get in those places. I don't think those golf courses are very good. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's it's such a crowded market for private golf in Atlanta. The new Bobby Jones is getting rave reviews on the public side. Yeah. Um, but as far as, you know, kind of even your no-laying-ups really consumer, it's tough to get into that, that, that type of situation in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, just even Bobby Jones putting in a range. Yeah. You know, in the city limits. Like, when I was there, the there wasn't a range. And so we would, you know, I would go out to, I moved back after college and couldn't go to the country club anymore. And so we would go play, we'd go play echelon yep. and uh, like chastity, the frog out in Newton, Cherokee run, um, Wolf Creek down by the airport. Yep. It's sick. Um, that place is always fun, but yeah, we had to get creative as far as, as far as, you know, where to go. We would go up to UGA and play the university course sometimes. Cool. Um, the orchard up, you know, up 985 there. So yeah, there was all sorts of stuff, but it's just frustrating because for as big of a city as Atlanta is and how good the land is and how, how good the climate is for playing golf year round, there's really not a whole lot of places where you drop everything and go play. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt, man. Well, whenever you come back up, we'll definitely have to make plans to tee it up and have some fun. And uh, we'd love to check back in with you during football season. And then at the end of major championship season, but thanks so much for your time, man. Follow Tron on Twitter at Tron Carter NLU follow no laying up as well at no laying up Tron. Have a blast during major championship season, man. We'll be sure to follow you on social media. Thanks Drew. All right. See you, bud. Another huge shout out to Tron Carter for joining us from No Laying Up. Follow him on social media at Tron Carter NLU. Follow No Laying Up at No Laying Up. Of course, follow Punt and Pass at Punt and Pass, and I am at Drew Butler. That was a long interview. I had a ton of fun. Again, kind of an extension of the Quarantine Chronicles, but I hope you enjoyed it. Golf is really about to ramp up. Got a World Golf Championship coming up this weekend in Memphis. Then the PGA Championship next weekend in San Francisco. So we are getting to it. U.S. Open down the road, as well as the Masters, which is fantastic. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again this week with another awesome episode of Punt and Pass. See you.